Hey guys, Toolman Tim here, back with another Ramblings from the Road. This is day two of the epic road trips to end all road trips, minimum 36 day. I've been on the road for, let's see, about six hours now. I'm about an hour from St. Cloud, two hours from Minneapolis, a little bit less perhaps gonna stop somewhere around Minneapolis tonight. I don't have to push myself too hard today to get to my location where I'm going because tomorrow will be um, somewhere around a maybe six to seven hour drive, maybe a little less. I haven't done the exact math yet to Aaron and Nate's place for the workshop get together, which I'm rather excited to do. So what a good day today has been. Another nice, beautiful day for drive. Definitely getting into a little bit thicker traffic the closer I get to Minneapolis. It's the thickest traffic I've seen so far with a lot of commercial traffic, but not too bad. Been a um, rather quiet day, nothing interesting along the side of the road, too much to share with you, but been given some thought today, a couple of things. First off on uh, transition, transition spaces, we'll talk about that, and then we're going to talk about anarchy a little bit too. I was going to do a live tonight, I may still do a live, but it won't be on anarchy anyway, but I wanted to chat about that a little bit tonight because I get asked about it every so often and most recently especially but first when a person's traveling you always think that your danger is on the road and it absolutely is you know before I saw my uh, my middle daughter before I left she's like have a good trip dad don't die and I'm like yeah I mean it's funny but at the same time it you just I hate it and whatever it is what it is but she's just being funny about it but that's the thing, you know, you, one of the biggest risks a person takes of these long road trips is these long drives. So you try to keep yourself alert and awake and pay attention and do your shoulder checks and the whole works. But beyond that, of course, the thing that you forget about the most is that other than driving on road trips, your entire day is spent either in transition or a place that you're not familiar with. And of course, when you've been in the car for three or four hours and you have to stop for a bathroom break, sometimes you hop out without thinking and just kind of run to the bathroom. But what ends up happening is, you know, there's a few things, of course. First is, okay, you stop to get gas, right? So you instantly just hop out, take a second and look. I, not being paranoid, just being prepared, that's all. And I've tried, you know, this is something I've gotten way better at, guys. And I don't think I mentioned this to you, but I mean, I've told you guys the story about the three different homeless people that surprised me while I was sitting in the car on my phone at different places over the last few years. Well, a few months ago, I was with Charlotte. We were waiting for Becky at Walmart and we were doing the same thing, sitting in the parking lot on our phones, just killing time waiting for mama. But I had my head on a swivel, so you know, I, I was always looking. And I seen a homeless lady, and she must have seen me because they have beacons, you know, in their head. That this lady was like, and she started coming, you know, toward me. And uh, before she was within even 30 feet of the vehicle, the window was rolled up and the doors were locked. And before she even got there, I waved her off. And Charlotte's like, How did you see her coming? I said, I'm always looking now when we're in places like that. And that, you know, so it's. Situational awareness is something I've tried to build really hard into my 
everyday kind of thing. And it doesn't mean you got to spend all day looking everywhere. It just means, you know, first off, the, the situations I've been thinking about while driving. Number one, pull up to get gas, right? Because you, you see these videos online now of people, you know, they get out to, to get gas and then somebody else slips into the passenger seat and steals their wallet or whatever. And it's a bit different when you're traveling by yourself because when Becky and I are traveling together, we don't, uh, you know, we, we both kind of keep our eyes open for the other one or, or the other person. If one goes in somewhere, the other one stays out or, you know, there's always an extra set of eyes to keep lookout. So I've got my over-the-shoulder tactical carry bag or my man purse as Becky likes to call it. And whenever I go in anywhere, I take a minute and load everything into that bag and I take it with me because I always think it would only take a second for somebody to smash the windshield and run away with all my IDs, my credit cards, my passport, whatever it would happen to be, and I am hooped. So there's that thought. So gas stations are the first. And not just as you're getting out of your vehicle, but while you're pumping gas. Just I, The thing I find works best, uh, of course, I keep moving, but uh, I put gas in, I set it. I love the ones that have the lock on them because our, our, in our town, they don't have the lock where it'll keep pumping for you. So I set it and then I go up front and I give my windshield a really good scrub. Don't forget your headlights. But while you're doing it, just keep a look around because there's you're always gonna have your back to somewhere. And then I empty any garbage. And then by that time, typically the gas is done pumping, but it's one of those things you always wanna keep an eye out for. So that's the first. Second is going to the bathroom. And that is, again, it, it's the same. You're gonna pull up, you pull up in front of a gas station, whatever it happens to be. Typically I like to, to go get the gas done and then go to the bathroom. But sometimes if you stretch it too long, yeah, it's not gonna happen and you gotta run into the bathroom first. So even if you're in a rush and you've, you know, you've stretched your bladder about an hour longer than you should have, look in your side view mirror, especially before you hop out of your vehicle. Make sure you have your belongings with you. Make sure you lock your vehicle because if you're in a hurry, oh boy, you're gonna be in trouble. So from there, going into the gas station, you know, just kind of keep your head up, look around, see where people are, look for the signs for the, the bathrooms, but don't put yourself in a corner. If you gotta wait for a bathroom, you know, wait with your back against the wall and just kind of keep an eye around and, and give it some space. It's the same with when you're getting into an elevator at a hotel. I always take a few steps back because number one, it's polite, but number two, you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you don't have a little bit of space to move. And I think about this a lot and you know, elevators are like that, bathroom doors are like that. So stay back from the bathroom. I mean, you know, make it known to whoever happens to be around that you're next in line, but you don't have to be standing right in front of the door in case some ne'er-do-well jumps out and hey, do you got a cigarette, you got money, or worse than that, stick you with a needle or a knife or whatever, you know, just, anyway, another thing, but put your back against the wall, that's what I like to do. And back to the gas pump thing, if you have, you know, if you happen to let it run below half a tank, which occasionally I do, but I try not to. So if it's gonna be a long pump, then I go back to the pump and I stand with my back to the truck so that I can just kind of look around and keep my eyes up. And, uh, and on top of that, if it's still pumping, go get close to it just in case it doesn't kick off because the last thing you want is a nasty gas bill somewhere because that will cause you some grief. So that covers 
gas station, bathrooms, uh, fast food drive-throughs, they aren't too bad. You know, just leave your passenger window up because there's usually no room for somebody to get in between you and the, and the uh, drive-through window. But again, just uh, try to leave some space. Something else that I've tried to do, even though some people don't like it, I do it at, at um, train crossings as well, but uh, I try to leave a half a car length in front of me. I know people are like, oh, they want you to pull up ahead more, but it always gives you space to escape the line if something happens. Say you see a car coming barreling behind you or whatever, the last thing you want to have to do is back up first and then turn. Hotels, same thing. I, I personally prefer indoor hotels, and I, I really like rooms on the second or third floor. It means you have to deal with elevators, but you're less likely to deal with people coming and going. Last night I had an outdoor room, like, yeah, outdoor, as in like outdoor entrance room. I had an interior and exterior entrance, which I didn't love. I just made sure deadbolt and latch was covered, but again, when you go into a hotel, here's the thing, you've got, you're going to be bringing money, you're going to be bringing credit cards, you're bringing, bringing your ID out, so just keep that close to you until they absolutely need it. I like to book ahead of time so that I plan where my hotel is going to be that night, and then I show up and I usually don't have to provide them with a credit card, or if I do, it's really quick, it just kind of speeds the process up, you know, and course when you're at the desk just kind of keep a quick eye I like to kind of stand at 45 degrees just so I can come back and then when you're unloading your luggage and that sort of thing again um, it's different when you're doing this by yourself when there's two of you you've always got one person that's kind of keeping an eye out and that again that's another one of those transition places it you know is when you're pull, when you're reaching in deep into the box of the truck to pull a suitcase out so i what i do is i try to make things really simple for loading and unloading i create space for my one big suitcase that i'm going to take in i try to only have one suitcase and maybe a laptop bag that comes and goes with me into the hotel room and then i try to keep an exact space in the box of the truck with the tailgate cover closed so that it's just open the tailgate, slide it in and close it. Now, all of this is just day-to-day -day kind of shit at this point. It doesn't mean you're paranoid. It doesn't mean you're sitting around thinking every junkie or anybody else out there is gonna jump you when you get your back turned. But all of that is just common sense. And also part of situational awareness is not putting yourself in those situations. So I've gone past gas stations before that have been very sketchy. And over the last 12 months, I can only remember one gas station that we stopped at that was very, should not have stopped there. And the reason was, is that we were coming through Wyoming and it was a long stretch, longer than I realized. And so I let the gas get a lot lower than I thought I needed. And it was probably the scariest situation in the last year and a half that we've had on the road for sure. And Becky wasn't sure that it was that scary. Uh, and maybe I was just a little being overly cautious, but it was in a very, very bad neighborhood. Oh, it was just, it was a horror. So the first step is to not stop somewhere that you think, huh, that, uh, that isn't a good, uh, good place to stop. So for me, here's another thing. When I pull off the interstate, 
I like to take a right-hand turn at the uh, at the off-ramp, so I try to pick a place that has gas where I can make a right-hand turn, make a left across traffic into one of those gas stations so that I can make a right and a right back to get on the interstate, if that makes sense. So I, I, I try never to take an exit where you don't see a gas station sign, and I always look for a gas station on the right-hand side of the highway on the far side of the exit. And then I can, you know, make a right, so it's a quick right at the stoplights, then a left across traffic, and then I'm not in a rush, or I don't have to make a, you know, sit there for a while trying to make a left. So I always try to make a right. Now, now I'm not saying I can always do that, but I would say 80% of the time. And again, it, you know, it's a convenience thing, but it's also an egress thing. So if you ever need to get out quick for some reason, right-hand turns are always better than left-hand turns. Shopping, again, uh, in and out with, you know, when, when you go to Walmart, just make sure that uh, you park somewhere that you can load and unload. Look for lighted areas. I always back my truck up against places. So if I'm at a hotel, one thing, yeah, do yourself a favor, learn how to back in. I never did that until I moved to Alberta and worked in the oil patch. So do yourself a favor, learn how to back in. Uh, two more reasons, three more reasons, but it, uh, it allows you to unload your equipment and your gear uh, in a safe spot outside of moving traffic. Number two, it puts your vehicle back against the hotel so that it's less likely to get rifled through if somebody comes by. And number three, it makes it much faster for egress if you ever need to make an emergency exit. So yeah, and less likely to back over somebody when you're, uh, <laughs> you know, pulling out, right? When you're backing into a parking spot, you're already out into the parking area and you're aware of your surroundings. That's why it's always better to be out in the parking back in than to do it opposite of that. But yeah, beyond that, the other thing I wanted to talk about today, let me just make sure that I've got lots of battery because something happened in this. Yeah, we're still good. I don't know if I accidentally left my receiver on. My microphone has lots of juice, but the receiver part is a little low, so we'll charge that up tonight. And I've probably talked about this a few times, but I have standardized on USB-C at this point, and I am loving it. I'm not ready to buy a new iPhone simply for a USB-C charger, but I'm working on it. But right now, the only thing I have that isn't USB-C is my iPhone and my AirPods. So I, I told you guys the uh, the story of Lone Canadian, and uh, he's a gentleman that donated the knife to the giveaway the other night. And when we met, I introduced myself. I'm like, you know, hey, I'm Tim. I'm a recovering statist. No, not really. But what I said was, uh, you know, we get talking, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm an anarchist. And I realized that just because you're a prepper or a survivalist does not mean that, you know, just because I come from the Greater Survival Podcast community does not mean that everyone else, you know, is a free market anarchist. And that's okay. Because I don't... Okay, let me back up just a little bit. This entire concept of anarchy has become overblown, co-opted, whatever you want to say. So when it comes down to it, for me, in the past... 
I re okay, let go back to an absolute classic film. Vin Diesel, and no, not uh, Fast and the Furious 18 or anything like that, but the one where he played a secret agent, snowboarder, triple X. Xander something or other, Xander Cage, or I don't know what it was, anyway. In that, the bad guy was an anarchist, and all he wanted to do was see the world burn. Or at least that's how Hollywood wrote it. And that's what it ends up coming down to, is that the whole idea is that somehow that term anarchists, as in, you know, voluntary exchange or, you know, uh, voluntary interactions with one another, became co-opted into something that resembles people who want to see the entire world burn. And when it comes down to it, that's not it at all. It just means no ruler. And it means that the, the best way for humanity to interact is on an individual basis. And so I think that's why the term voluntarist or voluntarism has become so popular because it hasn't been co-opted by the media yet. Or it has, you know, and listen, I don't think it's, you know, who knows where the intent is, but when it comes down to it, language is fluid and language is relative. And we see that because you go back five, 600 years and an English person 600 years ago could not converse with an English person today. So that's just the nature of languages. Terms tend to, you know, uh, slide in their meaning over time. And so traditionally, you know, an anarchist is a person who believes that the individual is the smallest or tiniest form of minority. So that really, when it comes down to it, all action should be voluntary. All action should be on a person-by-person -person basis within one another. And here's where it comes, let, let me go back a ways into my personal background. So you guys, most of you have known, and anybody who's new and you haven't heard it, and you're like, what is this anarchy thing that Tim's talking about? Well, let's build it to it. So I grew up in an evangelical Christian home, uh, Wesleyan Church, which is, I don't know, um, kind of a cross between Baptist and Anglican and uh, a few others. It's an Arminian style. And it, yes, but it was just your very typical um, 80s. In the 80s, it was a fire and brimstone style church. And then, of course, in the 90s and 2000s, it uh, turned into a Jesus is your girlfriend style church like most evangelical churches did. And I don't even know where they're at at this point. But I grew up as a kind of a staunch conservative who, in the back of his head, always thought I was a big fan of uh, live and let live but I was brought up always being told we need to pass laws to ban this we need to pass laws to ban that because they're evil they're against God's will that you know and we need to support that by passing laws and quite often I would have the conversations with family members as I got older especially you know in my late teens and early 20s that if we use the strong arm of the law against other people to enforce our morality, what is stopping those same people from using the strong arm of the law to enforce their morality upon us? And of course, I think I was rather vindicated during COVID when you saw lots of churches being shut down and their mind, they were in the right, and I think they were as well. Everybody should have still had the freedom to assemble in any way, shape or form they wanted to, but they were um, forced you know, at the point of having fences put around their church and thrown in jail if they assembled. 
so to me I was always very much a live and let live and I don't care or didn't care what you believed and hopefully you don't care what I believe and we can talk about it but I will sure as hell never force it on you and so you know I grew up as a conservative but I realized that and can you can you still be a you know conservative thinker and an anarchist absolutely the beauty of being an anarchist is that you can believe anything or everything that you want whatever your your truth is is totally fine you just don't force it upon one another really when it comes down to it in the words of Jack Spirico you know don't hurt me and don't steal my shit and that's really all it is as long as you don't do anything to infringe on the freedoms of others then I'm not going to do the same and so when that comes down to it that's really what it deals with and so when the churches started getting you know forced to close down I, I, I kind of I felt vindicated and I thought yeah see this is exactly what happens when you try to enforce morality on other people it can be eventually turned around and forced onto you so at that time for me I realized yeah you know I'm I'm pro-gun <laughs> you know I always believed in the you know the the need or the the freedom to own firearms and I believed in you know it was funny though because I was also pro-marijuana so if somebody wanted to smoke dope I didn't care and what it come down to was I was really just pro-freedom and I just didn't realize it. And so I wasn't going to force other people to stop doing things that I thought was wrong simply because I didn't think that was right because they could do the same with me. So that was the, so the, I went from, you know, staunch conservative with a freedom mind into the libertarian bent. And that came from, you know, my dad, uh, of course, all the years talking to him. It's always very much like, you know, government. government's bad. Uh, we weren't really big fans of unions or anything like that. Just got to be careful here, guys. We got a tire that exploded, and I don't want to end up with a piece of wire up through my rubber. <laughs> that would hurt. So government's bad. D Dad was very much against unions because of the power he'd seen in them. And you can be pro-union, too. I don't care. That's totally up to you. But when it came down to it, I realized that continuously government was overstepping its bounds. And so I was pro-freedom and I was anti-government control. So what is the first step? Libertarianism. And what's libertarianism? Well, what it is really is you, you, look, at, you look at the left, you look at the right, black, white, as far as opposite colors on the scheme. Go, it, doesn't, it does not matter opposites, you know. Uh, I, I might say the sky's blue, so whatever. But you've got two wings of the same bird and one gets in power the other gets in power blue versus red that sort of thing and what happens is you see that nothing changes so you think well what do i need i need a third option so i need libertarianism libertarianism is kind of you know yeah we need government but we don't need a lot of it we need less than we thought we needed and that's where you start you think oh this is great and then a couple of years in you're like yeah that's not right because I'm pro-freedom and I'm anti-government control, but I'm still pro-government, how does that work? And so eventually you just realize, well, what's the logical conclusion of you know, being anti-government and pro-freedom? Well, it's anarchy. And that doesn't mean there isn't governance. That doesn't mean that you don't have people who can run things for you, but it means that all interactions need to be voluntary. Because the day I hit 18, 
here's the deal, guys, and when this comes down to it, the day I hit 18, Justin Trudeau, or whoever was the president at the time, Jean Chrétien, never came to my door, knocked on my door. You know, he never came and said, Tim, here's your contract. We would like you to sign a contract to agree to pay taxes. Sign yes or no. Do you love me? Hit yes or no. <laughs> that sort of thing. Nobody ever did. Nobody came to my door and said, hey, Tim, you're 18 now. Um, here's your choice. You get to pay taxes, but you get my roads and health care and all of that. Or you get to not pay taxes and you get to pay for those things through the private industry, whether it's insurance or out of your pocket or that sort of thing. Nobody ever came to me and asked that. You know why that is? Because I don't have a choice. Because I was born here in Canada. Well, I'm in the States right at the moment, but born physically in Canada. And I have to pay taxes. Well, no you don't, Tim. You can choose not to. Well, let me ask you what the logical conclusion of that is. Because if I choose not to pay taxes, like the pastor who was anti-abortion in New Brunswick many years ago, what happens? Well, first they send the Canadian Revenue Agency after me. And they send, they send you letters and then they call you and they say, hey, I uh, just want to remind you that um, you have to pay your taxes. And I tell them, well, no, I never signed a form that says I do. And I say, well, that doesn't matter. It's an agreement based on where you live. It doesn't seem like an agreement to me. I always thought an agreement required two people to be involved, but here we are nonetheless. So then they call you, nope, okay. And then you owe them a bunch more money and they say, if you don't pay your money, we'll take you to court. I'm like, nope, because I never agreed to pay taxes. Okay, well, well, here we go. Let's go to court. And then I say, I don't recognize that. I'm not going to court because I never agreed to pay taxes. And the judge makes a judgment against me. And they decide they're going to come and collect it. And I say, nope, I don't recognize that because I never agreed to pay taxes. They say, well, we're going to send the sheriff or the police after you. And I say, well, I don't recognize that because I never agreed to pay taxes. And the cops show up and say, uh, come with us. We're going to put you in a nice cell for eight or 10 years to pay back your taxes. And when you get out, you still have to pay those taxes back plus all the new ones you make. And I say, nope, I don't agree. And they say, well, then you have one of two options. You come with us peacefully or you come with us by force. And I say, I don't agree with that. And they eventually, you know where this ends, every disagreement with government always ends at the barrel of a gun. And so when it comes down to it, I never had a choice to pay or not pay taxes. And if I ever decide to continue to refuse, eventually the answer comes from a barrel of a gun. And so that's the thing you, you know, we've had many conversations in the Telegram group about uh, whether a person should call the authorities on somebody or not. And I am a very staunch believer that you should not. And, you know, unless you're willing to point a gun at somebody yourself, then I would say you're better off not pointing a gun at someone else, you know, by proxy through the government. And so that is something to remember. So does that mean I want to tear the entire government down and watch it burn? Well, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm never going to actively try to get rid of something. But my personal beliefs, and everybody should, you know, everybody's entitled to their own personal beliefs. My personal beliefs are that we would be way better off without any forced rule. And if you talk to most people, they're going to say, you know what? Yes, I believe people are entitled to do what they want. 
sorry, let me back up. Yes, people are entitled to believe what they want. Maybe a few less, but most will say, most people are entitled to do what they want as long as you're not hurting anybody. And most people will agree with you that, to say, government should have less power because they waste money and they do things that are stupid, right? Okay, perfect, we all agree. The problem is, is that the 99.9% .9 of people always have the accept. And they'll say, but we need roads, but we need higher education, but we need protection against anti-hate speech, and but, 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 and it's always but this. And so what ends up happening is that most people pick blue or red for their side and decide that they're going to uh, have that person, those people, enforce their own version of the truth. So they say, yeah, I agree with everything you just said, except for whatever their hot button passionate issue is. And they'll say, but we would have hate speech if we didn't enforce things at the barrel of a gun. Or how would we have roads? Or, well, let me just back up here. Me not being able to tell you exactly how we may have roads or how we would handle hate speech or dun da dun 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 whatever those happen to be, me not being able to explain it does not mean the solution we have right now is the right answer. And I'm a huge fan of humanity coming up with their own solutions. And if we could have a, you know, a smaller scale, you know, individual interactions at a community level, I think we would be way better off. And here's the other thing. What in your lifetime have you seen the government make cheaper, easier, or simpler? And when it comes down to it, here's the deal. Because all right, let's back up a little bit. Say I want to build a house and I have $100,000 to build that house. Now that's not really accurate, but at this point, $100,000 to build that house. So I have one of two options. I can give it directly to the contractor who will then build that house, or I can give it to a third party who will then find me a contractor and then build the house. Now, that third party has to take their take and then they have to find a contractor to do it. Now you might say, well, that third party would uh, try to find you the best deal. Well, that might be possible, but if you took yourself a few minutes and contacted a bunch of contractors, you can find the same thing. What ends up happening is every time you put another party into an agreement or into a situation, it costs more money. And so government has become this great big self-serving, constantly expanding entity that needs to feed itself at the teat of the taxpayers. And so what ends up happening at this point is, well, we need more money. So in order to do the exact same things that the private sector could do by itself, costs more because then you have to have big brother government involved as well. And if things were done on a local basis and you might, well, Roads, for instance, how about roads? Oh, we can't, we can't pay roads. Or how, how are we gonna afford roads? Well, you know what? Here's the deal. I wouldn't mind somebody having to pay a toll to travel on a road. And when it comes down to it, a simple fuel tax is not the end of the world either. A local fuel tax that goes back to the local area to simply be used for roads is not that bad of an idea because I can choose whether I want to travel or not. That's what I like.
So when it comes down to it, it's personal choice, it's personal belief, it's the fact that individuals should interact with one another on a voluntary basis. And the problem is, is that none of us have ever been given that option to be able to voluntarily interact. And so that's what I want. And that's what modern anarchy is. And for me, I would be, you know, um, an anarcho-capitalist. And there are people out there who believe you can be an anarchist and a communist. And technically you can because if all people are have agreed that in their community they want to share everything communally, well then sure, you can. But they also need to have the option to leave if they want. And we all know that hasn't been a, an option in the past. But uh, for me, like I said, you have individual interactions on a voluntary basis are the only way they should be. And in order for the free market to work, it again needs to be an exchange of capital. So, you know, I, I want to go and do some work for somebody. So they pay me or we exchange goods for goods or services for services or, you know, time for a product, that sort of thing. And the best way to make that work is I will pay what something's worth and not a penny more. And if you can't sell it to me, then I'll go sell it to somebody else. And without government intervention, that's exactly what the market will do. But the problem is, is that every time the, the, the market wants to go up or down, the government says, oh my God, we need to fix it. And so they get in there and they get their greasy little hands in it. And you know, their little puppets make their money and they end up one thing after another and the market, you know, they manipulate the market to their favor instead of just letting the market do its thing on a free basis. And yeah, I've yet to see government get involved in anything that costs less, is simple, or is easier. So those are my thoughts. There's a ton of really good um, thinkers out there. You know, Ayn Rand is not an anarchist, but she is definitely a free market capitalist. Milton Freeman is a free market capitalist that I really, really like. Murray Rothbard is a, a libertarian that I've listened to a, a significant amount all of which have some anarcho tendencies. So if you're looking at getting started, those are some names that you might like to look into. But beyond that, let's go from there. I'll, uh, yeah, if you want me to do a follow-up on this, I did not think I could go that long on anarchy, but when you get me rumbling, here I am, you know, almost to St. Cloud in uh, Minnesota. And uh, I got myself a good little episode in. I didn't even think I was going to be able to record the whole thing. So I hope you guys enjoy that. I may not go live tonight. I may yet. Who knows? But this is going to be day two. And I'm going to try to do a recording every single day for you. I hope you don't get tired of my voice. Well, you haven't yet after 365 episodes. So you should be good. I'll try to pick a different topic each day. If you guys, anybody out there listening to this, come into the Telegram group and throw out a topic you want me to do. Because for some reason, you guys love these rambling from the roads episodes and I like doing them so with that guys I appreciate you and as always stay happy stay healthy and have a great week